Doug Wilson of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, has made no little splash in the popular evangelical and reformed world. From his witty writing to his persuasive responses to contemporary political abominations, to his pervasive influence through various media outlets created by several associated ministries, he and his ethos are becoming known even in the smallest churches across the country. And so given his popularity and the proliferation of his ideas, I want to mention a few things earnest listeners and readers ought to be aware of before taking Wilson at his every word. The Doctrine of God. He believes in EFS, or Eternal Functional Subordinationism, though he doesn't like that term. In a recent sweater vest dialogue between Wilson and James White, Wilson said the following, In Christian theology, submission does not equate, does not equal inferiority. And we see this because we see within the Godhead, the Father sends the Son into the world. So there's authority and submission in the Godhead. End quote. In that same discussion, he also says, quote, We confess that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are fully equal and all one God. We affirm the simplicity of God, and yet the Father sends the Son into the world, and so for us, submission does not equal inequality. End quote. Contrary to this, of course, the Athanasian Creed says, Nothing in this Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. And the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith says, In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word or Son, and Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations. Which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him? End quote. That is chapter 2, paragraph 3 of the Second London Confession. Those relative properties, by the way, regard the relations of origin or unbegottenness in the case of the Father, begottenness in the case of the Son, and spiration by Father and Son in the case of the Spirit. Justification and sanctification. He mixes the two, though he claims he does not. For all his verbal rebuke of the Roman Catholic gospel, Doug Wilson boldly proclaims what is called analytic justification, which is principally identical to the gospel of Rome. He says this, Apart from sanctification, justification does not exist. Apart from justification, sanctification does not exist. We distinguish the two readily, but we cannot separate them. We should be able to tell at a glance who is the husband and who is the wife, but we cannot remove one without removing the other. That's from his book, Reformed is Not Enough, chapter 21, The Greatness of Justification by Faith. Perhaps Wilson wanted to articulate what is called a necessity of consequent or a hypothetical necessity, which would make sanctification the logical conclusion following from the fact of justification. 
Instead, while he claims to make a distinction between the two, it's really only verbal given his last statement. But we cannot remove one without removing the other, and apparently that priority is interchangeable. As if to say, apart from our obedience arising from sanctification, we cannot be justified. While the reverse would be true, we cannot be sanctified without being justified, making our justification contingent upon the works arising from the Spirit's work in us? Well, that's just a rejection of Paul's gospel from Romans chapter 4. As he articulates it, Wilson's gospel is, quite frankly, foundationally identical to what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. The Holy Spirit is the master of the interior life by giving birth to the inner man, justification entails the sanctification of his whole being. That is the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Described there is analytic justification, which is to say that the sanctified person just is, by definition, the justified person. Or, to put it more clearly, the obedient person, or the righteous person, is the justified person. Protestantism and all the Orthodox, especially following the Reformation, affirmed what is called synthetic justification. That is to say, we are not righteous in and of ourselves for any obedience in us resulting from sanctification or not. Rather, we are righteous only with the righteousness of another, our Lord Jesus Christ. This doesn't even get us to the issues of his corporate justification, which he writes about in the same book, a doctrine that resembles that of N.T. Wright's new perspective on Paul. General Equity Theonomy. This is where he catches a lot of attention. General Equity Theonomy teaches the application of principles derived from the Mosaic case laws to current civil government, an attractive alternative to the clown show of current American politics and culture. In a video produced by Wilson's Church, Wilson says this, quote, All participants in this discussion agree that the coming of Christ was transformative. The discussion, not surprisingly, revolves around the nature of the transformation, not the fact of it. After all, Jesus did say that he had not come to blow up the law. Quote, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Matthew 5, 17 through 18. So in some sense, the law in its entirety remains, but then we read something like this, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Colossians 2, 14. So in another sense, there's something different about the law. How can these things be reconciled? Well, remember that Christ was also nailed to that cross, and he rose again from the dead, which is what the law also did. End quote. But all this does is confuse law and gospel on a political scale. Christ rising from the dead, a sign of the establishment of the new covenant, is not a recapitulation of the Mosaic covenant, which itself states, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them, that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22. 
ceremonial and judicial law were conditions set forth by God for retaining the covenant blessings, that is, for attaining and maintaining the promised land. If this law is recapitulated in Christ, it would mean the covenantal blessings would continue to be conditioned upon our obedience to these laws. Note, I'm not saying that governments should not legislate moral virtue. They should. But to source that moral virtue from a covenant Hebrews 8.13 explicitly declared obsolete is to directly contradict the plain sense of the text. It's also worth mentioning that Wilson tends to obfuscate rejecting certain terms and terminology like the term federal vision, for example, while retaining belief in the concept. So, whereas it appears that he departs from the position, he continues to retain the position but depart only from the explicit terminology. So, it's actually very difficult to codify and summarize what Wilson truly believes. And so, these are major areas in Wilson's theology you ought to be aware of before signing on as a trustee follower. God bless.